It's show 149 of the RIM Pro Report. Today, the latest industry news and a John Gilbert, IT director at SunFood. The show is sponsored by our good friends at O'Neill Software, who are doing some pretty cool stuff in the cloud. One such service is O'Neill Bridge. That's a service that connects ECM software like in tandem, Infolinks, and AccuTrack to the software that runs your record center. O'Neill Bridge is now managing way over a million items across 13 countries. Pretty amazing stuff, I'd say. If you'd like to learn more about how you can take advantage of this cloud service, you can hop right on the old interwebs and visit O'NeillSoft.com. An important question to start the show. Of all the possible utensils that could have been invented to eat rice with, how exactly did two sticks win out? Welcome to the RIM Pro Report. The one and only weekly broadcast for the RIM support services industry. Bustling with news, views, and the latest updates. This show is full of interesting information. So take notes. Now here's your host, Tom yep, Adams. Yep, 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 it's me, and here's the deal. August is all but over, and fall is pretty much on us. The kids are all heading back to school, at least in our neck of the woods. It's the last a third of 2013. So the question is, how are you? How are you doing? Are you ready to uh, make some cool stuff happen as we jump into the last third of 2013? I hope so. I hope you're doing well. Today on the show, we're going to talk to a client of yours. I know if that scares you, um, it shouldn't, because if you're in the data storage, data protection, or media vault business, uh, today's show is really designed to help you out. John Gilbert is the Director of Information Technology at Sun Foods. One of the things I know is it's extremely helpful to get get inside your prospect's head. And I know in the coaching work I do with my clients that figuring out IT people is challenging for many of us. So I asked John, a seasoned IT guy, to join me today to have an in-depth discussion about him, about the way he thinks, what he thinks about the kind of services that we typically and traditionally offer within our world. And really, I want us to learn more about how, how IT management people operate and think. But before we talk to John, I want to get you caught up on the latest industry news. Ready Shred Capital Corp. has announced the repurchase of the Pro Shred franchise in Charlotte, North Carolina for a one point three million dollars this brings the number of corporate owned pro shred locations to six in total and in total pro shred operates 25 locations in the u.s and five in the middle east so congratulations to david wright the departing franchisee on the sale nade has just released the second installment of its natum video series the newest episode is called pulped fiction a misguided staffer at Sandia Associates loses sight of the importance of making sure his shredding contractor has the proper qualifications and a bizarre set of events unfold. And you can watch this really cool video at natum.org. A former guest on the show from Nigeria, Dr. Oyedokan Oyewali, let us know that he and a number of others have just launched the Institute of Information Management in Africa. This pioneer organization wants to drive the development of competent information management professionals throughout Africa. So congratulations to him and all involved in getting this organization going. And finally, some reminders of upcoming events. The O'Neill Partner Conference is coming up September 18th through 20th. Nage Shred School is happening in Orlando and Dallas in the next 
few weeks. You can check that out at shredschool.com. PRISM's Data Protection Conference will be in Dallas September 26th and 27th. October 11th through 13th, the Data Protection Association will hold their yearly conference in Oakland, California. PRISM's Fundamentals of Records Management will be held in Mumbai, India, October 14th and 15th. And the PRISM Latin America Forum will be held in Cancun, Mexico, October 17th and 18th. As we get back into the fall, lots of dates coming, lots of things going on for you to know about. And I want to keep sharing those with you. So if any of those are interest, you can check out the respective websites to support what it is going on. That's all I have for now. If you have news you want to share, let me know. Alrighty, I'm going to go get John Gilbert on the line. Hold tight while I do. John Gilbert is the Director of Information Technology at SunFood, a San Diego-based certified raw organic foods and superfoods company. John is hiding out in his secret lair in the headquarters of SunFood to chat with us today. John, welcome to the show. Hello, Tom. How are you? Ah, it's great to have you on the show. You're not our typical guest, I have to say, and that's what makes me excited about today's show. Uh, you're an IT guy. Uh, you're an IT expert. You've been in the game a long time. So let's actually start with your own IT story. You've been in the business uh, in doing this kind of stuff for a lot of years. So tell me some of your path that led you up to where you are today, specific to your world uh, the IT space, information technology, all that kind of stuff. Give me a sense of your story. Well, when I first got out of college, I walked out and found a job. It was the late 80s, which was a hard time to actually get a job in IT because yeah. everybody kind of needed you, but they really didn't know what they wanted. Right. And I got a job with Kohl's Carpets, and I worked with them for about six years. They're a flooring retailer, and I learned the basics of the business were working on some you know, pretty old systems at this point. They were all the terminal-based systems at that point. Uh, I was with them for six years until around 1993, and then I moved over to Eagle Creek, which makes backpacks, travel gear, oh, yeah. luggage. Yeah. And uh, you can find them out there. And I worked for them for the better part of 14 years until they were sold to VF Corporation, just a little tiny company. Uh, VF owns Wrangler, North Face, uh, Jansport, Eagle Creek, and a ton of brands. I wow. mean, they're a multi-billion dollar company. They're gigantic. Uh, I worked with them for about five years as a contractor, helping them transition Eagle Creek systems and Eagle Creek into their systems so that, you know, they could be absorbed into the VF corporate environment. And then I did some freelance work for a while, and I landed here at SunFood eight months ago, which is another small company. And uh, it has all of the love-hate relationship that you find with a small company where you can actually make a difference, but you've also got to work your butt off to make things actually happen every day. Right. So you're you're living right in the middle of of IT everything. I mean, you you deal with all facets of IT, right? Yeah, I mean, basically if it has anything to do with the technology, I'm dealing with it in some respect or another. I have a, a service contracts with a number of different people that they help me out with different aspects of the technology. Like I've got support for the phone system people. I have some people that help out with the data center stuff cuz uh, SunFood servers are all hosted in the data center, and the reason why we do that is because we sell online as a web store. Uh, we have an accounting package and a web package that work very closely together, and having the two databases sit right next to one another is really about the only effective way you can do business in that environment. So we have all of our stuff hosted at a data center, and we use remote connections from the uh, headquarters office to the actual data center. Hmm. 
Wow. Yeah, because the environment you're dealing with, as you said, is is both your systems, your database, but you're also selling your your uh, website actually sells your products, right? Yeah, we have a website that sells retail. It's uh, sunfood.com, and that's where we sell all the actual products retail. We also sell through a network of wholesalers. Probably the one you'd recognize and your people would recognize would be Whole Foods. We're in a lot of their stores, and you can see a lot of Sunfood products in their store. They don't carry absolutely everything, but Mm -hmm. they have a relatively good selection of our products. Oh, okay. So so we know kind of the environment, but uh, let's drop back into your story a little bit. Um, because you've been at this, you said you started in the eighties. So as you've aged and matured, and I'm not trying to, to tell anybody how old you are, uh, but the technology world has continued to evolve, um, in significant ways. I mean, we're living in a time where technology just keeps flying forward. So as you look at your own history, what are some of the largest and most significant changes you've seen over the years? Which ones stand out to you in a maybe more significant way? Okay, well, first, thank you for you know letting everybody know that I'm personal friends with Dirt Tom. You know, I do appreciate that. Um, I would all, I would probably if the things I could pick out for you would be significant would be a LAN. You know, the local area networks. That's probably the the foundation of absolutely everything. It was what gave people that feeling of value that connecting computers actually had together. I mean, I remember the bad old days. I mean, where if you wanted to move data from one computer to another, if you were lucky, you put it on a floppy disk and you moved it from one computer right. to another. If right. you were unlucky, you put it on many floppy disks and tried to move it from one computer to another. Wow. Um, that's probably one of the most significant things I can, I can think of to start with. Uh, second, of course, would have to be the Internet. Uh, I, I registered Eagle Creek's domain name back in 1994, uh, shortly after I actually got there. And I remember the look on their face when I actually wanted to spend it. At the time, it was $120. When I wanted to spend $120 to right. register www.eaglecreek.com uh, with the uh, with the Internet. And it was just the look I got from them when I told them about network solutions and stuff was just hilarious. And uh, it's one of those things where, you know, they, they never actually went back and said, geez, thank you for doing that. But, you know, it's just one of the things I, I just think we remember. Uh, you know, for good and bad, the Internet's probably my number two. Uh, number three would probably be mobile and wireless everything. Mm. Uh, you know, I have wireless TVs at home connected to my wireless network. I stream stuff from Netflix and all these other services, and it's just amazing what you can do on a phone, a tablet, and with your TV these days. Oh, I know. It's it's unbelievable. So how has that how is that part of it? Because the LAN and the Internet obviously has affected the corporate side of things. Um, but are you already seeing the influence of of that mobile and wireless stuff within the walls of of the corporate world that you live in? Absolutely. Um, BYOD, bring your own device, is uh, a, a, a plus and a bane for most IT managers. Uh, we have the same situation here. We support it to a much lesser extent. They need to have their technology cooperate with our technology because, you know, we're such a small company. But uh, you can connect your your SunFood Exchange account, which is our email system, to your Android or your Apple phone. Your iOS phone will actually support it, and you can actually run it on your iPad. We have a, a regular amount of visitors that come to our site that are on iPads and iPhones, and of course on Android phones. We actually have a mobile site already. It's not a huge driver of traffic and sales for us at this point, but we're starting to see more and more traffic actually coming to us and at least doing research on mobile devices like the phones and the iPads. Right. Wow. The other thing I was going to say was the, the whole wireless thing, because everybody's used to being able to connect up anywhere they are. I mean, you can pretty much be sitting at the beach and pop open your phone and right. actually go and look at stuff right there. Right. Yeah. 
Yeah. So, I mean, you're, you're, I think probably more than ever today with that, you're also as an IT director, also dealing with the security implications of that, um, you know, access to your network, all those kind of things become issues that I, I can only imagine cause a little sweat every now and then. Yeah, I mean, honestly, all we can really do is try the best we can to secure the perimeter and force into secured clients. Like, we won't allow direct access to any of the systems. They have to go through a client that's secured. We use uh, Microsoft's remote desktop, so we use make them use that client. It's more secure than it was before. At some point, I want to move on to Citrix because that's a much more secure client, has much more robust features, and that's really what you need to be doing when you're depending on that. But for right now, what we do is we allow them to use the Microsoft Remote Desktop client. They connect up to the Exchange server using the clients on both the iPhone, the iPad, and on the Android phone. And that is relatively secure. There's not a whole ton of damage that can really be done with that at this point. Right. But it is, you know, always of concern that you, you're letting people in with whatever device they happen to be using. And the only thing you can really do these days is minimize it. You can't really stop it. Right. Well, as I explained when we prepared uh, for our interview today, the audience listening to us are those who want to sell you, an IT director, and others like you, various support services. So my goal on this call today is to, to help those listening to us to understand your world, your priorities, get a glimpse into the life of an IT director, and you've already given us some of that. Um, but as we kind of get going into this, what's the most important thing you want them to know about you and maybe others like you? Well, probably the best I can give you is a picture of what it's like to live on this side of the fence is we're always pressed for time. The, the director is kind of the person who's kind of stuck in the middle. We're halfway up the management chain, halfway down the management chain. Hmm. We're the ones that are tasked with actually implementing all the great ideas and not so great ideas that come out of you know CIOs and VPs, and we have to keep the staff in line and make sure the projects actually get done. And it's kind of being stuck in the middle of things. We also are the ones that are probably the most affected by this destructive do more with less philosophy that's come out of the recession. And sometimes I'm here to tell you, you can't do more with less. There is sometimes there is no way around not just spending the money to get something, to fix something. You need a piece of hardware, you need something, and there's just no way around it. I mean, you can get creative, but the realities are sometimes you just can't get that creative. Yeah, and, um, so, and so the implication of that to you and your life is you have no time ever. A lot of times that's, that's a very accurate description. I mean, when I do have time, it's usually taken up by, oh, well, now I need to get back around to this project that I've been looking at. Honestly, I've been living in triage mode for probably the last seven, eight years. And what that means, what that means in, in terms for your listeners is living in IT triage mode means I look at a project and is it critical? Do I work on it now? Is it important? Do I set it aside and work on it later as soon as I can get through with the critical stuff? Or is it not that important? And do I pretty much leave it until it breaks? Right, right. Eesh. So what's an, an average day look like in your life, in the life of an IT director? Because I know you've done it in a number of different settings, and I know you have friends and colleagues who do that. But, but I, assuming there are no average days, and you're dealing with triage, so everything looks different, but give me, give me what a day looks like in your life. It can be absolutely anything. And I mean absolutely anything. You never know what's going to happen. You try to actually schedule some stuff, and you set aside some time to work on some projects you have to deal with. But 
you never know what you're going to walk into, especially in a small to a medium-sized company. Right. It could be you walk into the highs of successfully launching a new project. You've completed something. You and your team launched it. It goes out. Everything goes relatively well with it. You only have to fix a few little things, and you're riding that high. Or it could be a low of you get called at 3 o'clock in the morning. The servers have crashed. You've got to get your butt over to the data center and deal with the disaster that's going on. And luckily, most days are somewhere in between those things. Right. But it's probably one of the few times when you're not actually in – a service area where you are, your, your life is in danger, where you never know exactly what's going to happen. Anything can happen at any time. And it's part of the, kind of the appeal to the whole job is, is the fact that you never know exactly what it's going to look like from day to day. I mean, mm-hmm. unless you're in the huge end of things, that's where you can kind of structure things a little bit more. But if you're in the smaller end of things, you never know what's going to happen. Right. But, but my instinct tells you that a whole lot of stuff that you deal with in your world is a fire to be put out, correct? You are 100% correct right. in that. Okay. So you're, you're constantly putting out fire. Something's wrong. Something needs to be fixed. Here's a project that needs to be done. Get on it. Um, but if you back away from that, um, leaving those kind of fires that are the bane of your existence, but in some respects it sounds like it's actually kind of intriguing and interesting. It keeps life interesting. Uh, if you could remove all the firefighting, independent of those, what are the biggest, most critical things that you are worried about, focused on, uh, attempting to accomplish in your life as an IT director? Well, you have to step back from just the technology. I know that some of the geeks and nerds are going to blow up on that one, but the realities are you have to step back from it and you have to put the company's overall philosophy, its sales model, and its business in front of everything that you actually do. Hmm. So for me, when the building isn't on fire, uh, I'm usually looking to make sure that our retail website is performing okay, that people can buy products on our website, credit cards can be charged, and we can tell them the status of their orders, make sure that our sales reps use an internal website that they can actually place orders into our system to make sure that works, make sure that our manufacturing people can actually you know, package all of our raw materials into finished goods, we can get stuff shipped out the back door, and then I go around to my special projects. Now, I'm, right now I'm working on some stuff that has to do with SEO and some stuff that has to do with a rewards program we recently launched, and uh, some outreach stuff we're working on getting to for our customers, but that's pretty much it. It's the focus of the business itself. Right. When you step back from the technology and the fires, it's got to be about the business. What does your business actually need? Hmm. And and do you, do you think most people think like that? I mean, you've been in this game a long time, and you understand the critical importance of connecting that dot, but um, do a lot of IT people often step back enough to say it's all about what the business needs not just do we have the fastest servers on the block or or did you know does the network work properly or do we have enough bandwidth or those kind of things um is that something a lot of people are focused on I think it's honestly getting better, and okay. I think it's something that needs to happen. But always, no. I know some people that all they're, care, they're caring about is, oh, okay, we got a gigaflop out of our servers when we're processing database transactions, which is intriguing, but it doesn't really mean anything to right. anyone. And if you right. walk into a, a management meeting, an executive meeting, a board of directors meeting, and you say something like that, they're going to go, oh, you're one of those kind, and they're going to dismiss you. Right. And what that's going to do is it's going to cause you to have even more problems when you are trying to actually get funds allocated. And let's face it, it's always a dogfight trying to get funds allocated in a manufacturing company right? Uh, so that you can do things like backup and recovery, disaster planning. You can do stuff like expanding your website. You can do the things that you need to get get done to support the business. You've got to be able to make a business case for those things, and you've got to be able to make it in a language that the people that you're talking to are going to understand. 
And that's what's different about me than a lot of my peers. It's getting better, but I still know a lot of people that just can't bridge that gap. Right. And that's that, that's such an important gap. And and it's even more important as as we talk about some of the stuff related to the people who are particularly listening to us today. You mentioned a couple of those aspects, but many of the people listening in in this uh, in this show uh, come from the data protection services world that sell things like offsite tape storage, uh, archiving and rotation services, e-vaulting, and then various forms of disaster recovery, crisis support, and often that intersecting with compliance and privacy. So I, I, if you don't mind, let, can, can we dig a little bit into your thoughts and beliefs and priorities about these specific aspects and how you view them? Just sort of in the moment, I'll throw something to you and you let, let me know what you think about it. Uh, physical sure. tape backups. Uh, and, and I know you said you, were, you, you work in a data center, but how important are physical tape backups and, and offsite security and protection of those offsite or those tape backups? Give me your sense about that and what's happening from your perspective with that. I think this is still a critical area. I think too often the younger crowd are getting ready to run off half-cocked into the entire cloud environment, which is which is okay. And I think that's an area that needs to be explored. But with the physical tape backups, they are still your best price to performance ratio. And right now, I don't have that available to me because I inherited what I've got because I've only been here for eight months and there's only so much you can fix in eight months, you know. Right. And I want to set up a tape drive in the data center. I want to pull those weekly full backups onto those tapes. I want to archive those and pull them off site for a year. Because right now, what we've got going on is we have only a tape backup, well, no tape backup. It's running a disk-to-disk backup. It's right. only good for 30 days, and it falls off after 30 days. Hmm. So I want physical tape, and right. I don't see that going away. Well, and because I, I I assume you're you're probably well in the know, but the the new some of the new stuff coming out now, which is is significant as fast as disk now, and holds the data, and you can ac- access data in similar ways you would on a uh, on a hard drive. Um, some of the stuff that's coming out is pretty cool. Um, what I've been seeing. Um, and so the the value proposition of that going forward, but it, it still means to you as it relates to physical tape backups, uh, you still have to go get the funds to make that happen, correct? I mean, you, you still have to go drive a business case for that um, critical backup. Exactly. And I, I'm, in, I'm to the point right now where, you know, I'm trying to get them to give me funds to actually buy a tape drive and put it onto the system so that we can actually have the ability to keep the backups longer than this 30-day window. Yeah. Um, we're doing the disk-to-disk backup right now, and I've looked at a few things. I, I've, I've tried a couple things. We've beta tested a few things with the creative cloud storage, but we've run into issues with that. And one of the other issues that I'm seeing is, is the whole bandwidth thing, because the clients don't have any configuration in the very basic ones that allow you to choose how much bandwidth you're going to use for the backup and what the hours are going to be for the backup. It's, it's promising, but it needs security, it needs encryption, and it needs to be able to resume the uploading features, and it needs to be able to schedule those uploading features, and it needs to be able to set a throttling so that you're not you know, completely bursting your bandwidth. I mean, in a data center, you can burst the bandwidth. But right. you know, I also have this local office that has some files that are kept here just because of their sheer physical size, the stuff we use for our labels. They're very large files. They may be you know, up to a gigabyte each. And those files need to be backed up as well, but you know, there's no physical backup medium in this building other than a couple of external drives, which I'm currently using because that's all I've got. 
but I would like to be able to do an off-site backup with those. But because we're doing the whole cable modem kind of thing, we, we don't have enough bandwidth. I mean, we've got 32 gigabytes down, you know, 32 megabytes per second download speed, but we have a 5 megabyte upload speed. And when you're trying to transfer a gigabyte file, that doesn't work. Right, right. No, and that, but that, but that's a real, a real significant issue in terms of of dealing with your role within the company. Is, is you, and this is why it's so helpful to talk to you because many of us don't really always see the fact that um, it's not just whether or not you need tape backup or disk to disk backup or offline e vaulting. Let's call it that. But you're dealing with how do I convince the the people internally to allow me to do that? Uh, you're dealing with your own set of issues as it relates to um, your data center uh, bandwidth that that also creates huge significant issues for you. And those are things that are you're constantly you're waging your own internal battle on how to best fight those. It sounds to me. Exactly. I mean, honestly, Tom, I got to tell you, the companies that actually really take this seriously and get religion about backup and offline storage and archiving and disaster recovery are those that have experienced a disaster. Hmm. If something hasn't happened to them that significantly impacts the business, it becomes a low priority, oh, the IT guy wants to do this project. Right. And it gets shuffled off. It doesn't get resources allocated to it. It doesn't become a priority until it hurts. And it's sad, but it's the honest truth. And I can tell you that after 27 years in the business. Yeah. So disaster recovery planning and business continuity preparedness, um, if, if I'm trying to pitch you on those, um, is that old news to you? you? You're fighting that battle every day, aren't you? Well, generally speaking, to some extent. I mean, in the larger scale of things, it would be, it would be taken care of. But in a company of this size or some of the other smaller medium companies, there are opportunities to exist. But, you know, I've started the discussion with them, but there's no complete plan yet. And right. I mean, I'm getting those looks, you know, of like, okay, so why do you want to spend money on this? Why do you want to do that? It sounds like a waste of money. So right, right now I'm kind of stuck in the Indiana Jones thing. I don't know. I'm making this up as I go. So, like, what happens? <laughs> well, I'm not sure. I'm going to try to fix it if it, if it explodes. I'm not pleased with this particular plan, but, you know, right now it's all I've got. So I'm trying to move this up the priority list. I'm trying to get them to take this seriously. But, you know, when you have the problems of running a manufacturing business where you've got to get product in, you've got to package it, you've got to get it ready to go out on the shelves, and you've got to get it shipped out to customers, it's one of those things you have to basically spend some time in wearing them away with it. You know, you've got to keep repeating the message, this could happen, this could happen, we need to do something about this. And you've got to stay with it, and you've got to make as incremental change, many incremental changes as you possibly can, and you've got to try to get them to recognize this as a realistic priority. Wow. Well, you know what's kind of cool about what you just said? As you were saying it, what I, what I heard was you're an IT director, but you're also heavily involved in marketing and sales. Because <laughs> uh, you're, yeah. you're marketing and selling to uh, the power powers that be within your environment, your organization. Uh, and yet, you know, a significant amount of people in our world are trying to market and sell to you, which creates this really interesting dynamic, I can only imagine for you. Well, yeah. I mean, the fun part is, you know, when they come in over there, I'm like, oh, yeah, I've seen that sales pitch before. <laughs> you know, it's, it's, it's really kind of an intriguing thing. But yeah, I mean, a lot of us move in that particular direction because when you actually have to prepare a business case for spending you know, a million dollars. Because when I was working at Eagle Creek, my annual budget was about $3 million. So when you're going to be spending that kind of the company's money, you actually have to provide business cases, you have to provide ROIs, you have to provide a plan, you have to provide a summary, and you actually have to be able to back this up with facts, and then you sure as heck better be able to execute it. Right. You know, on a pretty regular basis. 
Wow. So I'm pretty used to that. And, you know, coming into this smaller environment, I'm surprised at some of the stuff that actually gets through without actually any stuff backing it up. Yeah. But I'm also surprised how certain things don't seem to click as being an actual priority. Yeah. But, you know, I'm doing the best I can to try to get some of this stuff to the top of the priority list. But, you know, it takes time. Very cool. So one question I get frequently as a marketing consultant and advisor is how do we find you? Um, how do we market to you? How do we get an audience with you? You and other IT directors and managers are consistently hard to find and reach. Uh, you know, I, I kind of describe you a lot like Yetis or Bigfoots or even Jason Bourne. Um, we know you're there. We just can't see you or find you. So in a complete act of betrayal of your peers, what's the best way to market you and find you? Sorry, Tom, but I'm not going to give you the codes of the cloaking shields. Okay. Sorry, I just can't do it. No. But right. what I can tell you all right. is Give me what you can. Speaking, all right, I'll give you what I can here. We can give you this. Have the information available on your website in a summary form and in great detail so I can start going and looking at these. Generally, what happens is the reality is when, you, when you're in a large environment, the backup recovery and disaster planning are not what we call BSFs, big sexy projects or big sexy functions. And so those don't get a lot of playtime at the management meetings, the executive meetings, and the board of directors. Hmm. These are projects that actually occur after something's happened, after someone went, hey, we need to do this for compliance. And the people go out and look for these kind of in their spare time. So we need to have the information available to us on the websites in small detail and in large detail so we can pull them down as we need it. Once we've established contact, if I tell you the project is on hold, generally I'm not jerking you around. I'm telling you the truth, the project is on hold. Let me give you an example. I have these EDI people. Sun Food would be possibly looking at doing their first EDI project. I have quite a bit of experience in working with EDI, with, with Eagle Creek, and with VF. Right. And I've been working with a couple reps from a couple different EDI firms, and I've told them the situation that I'm, I was exploring it. I got information from them. I discussed it. I got everything necessary, and I submitted all the pieces that I needed for this project. What's going on in the sales portion of things, though, is that the contract for the EDI um, relationship between us and the vendor has not been signed. And if that's not been signed, the project doesn't go forward. And it's been sitting in this limbo state of negotiations for literally the last four months. And I'm sure the poor sales reps think I'm just blowing them off. And they keep calling me and they keep emailing me and I keep telling them, look, I'm not jerking you around. This project is currently on hold. They have not signed the contract. We have not signed the contract. There is currently no contract. Nothing is going to happen. So generally, just you know, kind of go with it in our word that if we tell you it's on hold, it's going to actually be on hold. So what happens? What what happens in that case when somebody keeps calling you and calling you? Do you do you grow weary of it? Do you want to say like just back off? I don't even want to work with you anymore. Like leave leave me alone, uh, or do you understand that that's a role they play? It just keeps messing with you know the hours you have in your day. How how do how do you respond to that? Well, it depends on whether it's polite persistence or whether it's absolute, I'm going to get to you if I have to come to your building and stand in front of your door persistence. Okay. <laughs> okay. If it's that kind of persistence, I put you on what's known as ignore mode, which means the emails get put straight into my recycle bin, right. and I will probably never talk to you again unless I have no other choice. Um, I feel for these people because they, you know, they have got quotas to meet, they've got business 
models to deal with. They have business objectives to deal with. But what I really like is the people you can establish the relationship with. You know, we can build some trust. I can talk to you back and forth about the project. I can tell you the honest truth about the project if it's on hold, if I think it's going to go forward, if I don't think it's going to go forward. And I try to be as honest as possible with them because I don't want to waste their time, but I don't need them wasting my time either. Right. So coming back to, because I, I love your BSF thing, your big sexy functions, uh, because you're saying da- data storage, offsite media vaulting, uh, that, that kind of online e-vaulting kind of stuff is not a BSF function unless you've had a disaster. Um, so when people are attempting to sell you that kind of stuff, uh, coming back to, um, generally speaking, give me summary and detail. What's, what's the, is it better to just give you an opportunity to go look for us? So using the power of the internet, or is it, can we get in front of you as direct mail a way to approach it? Can it, can I just get in front of you in a way, not necessarily with a meeting because you all always know what a meeting is. I assume when somebody says, can I have a meeting, you know exactly what they're doing. Right. Um, well, generally, Generally, with direct mail, I don't even see any of that stuff. And uh, the mail is picked up by someone else out of our mailbox, and I never actually even see anything that comes in via the mail unless it's something critical that they recognize it's coming from one of our existing vendors. So that's probably not going to work. Normally, what I do when I need to find a solution is I jump out on the Internet and I start poking around looking for some what information is available. I'll start Googling stuff up, and then I'll start going out, and I start finding out who has information available. What I absolutely hate is someone who makes me fill out a whole bunch of information in order to actually get an, a basic understanding of what their product offering is and what their pricing structure is. Hmm. It doesn't have to be exact, but I need to know, can you do what I want to do can you give me some leads into what it is you might be able to do that I don't know that I need yet, but once I get into this, I'm going to be able to find that out. And can you give me a ballpark figure of what it's going to cost? Because normally that's all the information I have when I'm starting into the discovery phase. Right. Once we've gone through the discovery phase, if your project, look, if your process looks like it can work for me or your offering looks like it can work, I'm going to contact you, and then we can actually start the more detailed discussions about, okay, well, this is what we can do for you. This is how much it's going to cost. This is how long it'll take. And that's pretty much the way I like to proceed with most things. Nice. nice. Well, that, that's great information because I think so often what, what we're really adept at is – uh, on the other side, trying to sell to you is we, we go, we, we're going to protect it all. We're, we're not going to really give you a whole lot. We want we want to have the meeting. Uh, and that's really our intent and goal. You're saying your intent and goal is I don't have a meeting with you until I know the details. I, I, I want to know a little bit enough about you, enough about your product, your pricing structure, your service capabilities, those kind of things without having to disclose who I am. Just give me some knowledge and then I'll make a determination whether you're somebody I want to follow or not. Right, exactly. I mean, the one thing people have got to break through is, you know, there's nothing, there's nothing in the very basic sense of things that's proprietary about the type of solution they're providing. The way they provide it, the technology, fine. Protect that. That's not a problem. But you can tell me that you provide cloud storage. You can near-line backup storage. You have SANS to back the stuff up. You can put it off the tape. You can automatically move my tapes into a secure long-term storage area. You can put the stuff on a Blu-ray for me and save it for 100 years if I want. You know, these are the kind of things you need to tell me. And mm. it's stuff that's not going to violate any of your privacy policies. It's not going to give away trade secrets. But you got to be upfront with me about what it is you can do for me. Give me a ballpark pricing. Because if you won't even do that and I need to contact you for it, you're probably not going to get contacted until I've got money in my hand. 
Right. I probably won't even have you in mind until I have a signed budget authorization in front of me, and at that point, I'm going to put you up against 10 people. You can start the inside track by making basic information available as easily as possible and understanding the fact that if you reach out in that way, you're going to influence these people to look at you seriously when they actually do have the money in their hands. Right. Wow. Very helpful. Man, John, that, that's fabulous information that's incredibly helpful and uh, really gives us a clue into to what you're thinking and doing. Um, so in terms of any crystal ball, um, looking you know, two, three, four years down the road, uh, are there any big things that you think we need to know about what you're thinking in the future? It, it, is the stuff you're working on today two- and three-year plans? Is it? Are you just trying to drive you know, the next three to four months the major projects? Or, or do you have some kind of crystal ball work that you're doing in terms of how to prepare your company for you know, five years from now? Well, you know how dangerous crystal balls can be. Yeah. So as long as yeah. you don't like try to hold me to it, I'll throw out a few nuggets for you here. Okay. Um, I still think that you're going to have tape and or optical media. And I don't think that's going to go away for a very long time due to its, its, its capacity and its long-term viability. So right. I think those are going to be around for quite a long time. I think what really needs to happen is universal encrypted cloud storage. That means you've got to support phones because phones are becoming smartphones and smartphones are becoming small computers, which are becoming tablets. And PECs all need to store data in a secure encrypted environment where you can you can share everything in one spot. I think that's something that's going to be very important on the consumer's front of things. It's going to be important to me as, as an individual, and it'll probably be important for our people that are traveling on the road because we're starting to build a network of salespeople. Right. And some of the stuff they're going to do is backing up their own devices, and having them be able to do that with a secure, encrypted solution would be something that's of interest to us. Hmm. Um, keep an eye out for more service, uh, software-as-a-service offerings. I mean, you're starting to see more stuff from Microsoft where they're offering Office 365, which is basically their hosted solution for exchange services. You install the local apps on your computer, and it's a subscription model. You're going to start seeing more of that stuff happening. Right. Adobe's starting to do it. Apple's starting to do it. That's going to be a big thing. Yeah. Um, there's going to be a tectonic shift in the cable and the, the dedicated circuit upload speeds. It has to happen. If we're all going to be storing stuff on remote data services, we need more than five megabytes per second upload. We need to get to you know a gigabyte per second upload, or at least you know 100 megabytes per megabits per second upload. You know we need to get into a much higher capacity for the upload as well as the download because everything is pretty much centered around download speeds at this point for you know most of the high speed internet services you right. can get, and that's right. not going to float in the future. Right. Right. Wow. Well, it's great stuff. So uh, you, you've you've just thrown a ton of great stuff at us, and I'm extremely grateful. And we've uh, gone through thirty, almost thirty five minutes, which is fabulous stuff. But uh, I, I I guess as we conclude, I want to clarify one I think critical matter, and it's the term geek and nerd. Um, <laughs> and uh, I I know that geeks and nerds have not always been held in the high regard that they are under today, and I. I think now it's cool because nerds basically run the world um, or geeks. But I, I think I need to make sure I get from you. Um, what is a geek? What's a nerd? What are you and why? Well, let's see. Um, well, geeks, I'm, I, I guess I'm pretty much a geek with nerd tendencies. Oh. Um, 
I'm kind of a combination of these things. The geeky part of me always plays with the tech stuff, the tech toys and the games and all that other fun stuff. On on the nerd side of things, I've also done the whole SCA thing. I've actually fought in medieval rec- uh, recreation battles, worn real armor. I've made chainmail. You know, I like swords and medieval weapons, but, you know, I'd love to have a blaster. So basically, if you're going to look at me, I'd be the Jedi with both a lightsaber for close-up fighting and a blaster for when they're way too far away for your lightsaber. <laughs> and as someone who doesn't fit that, well, I don't even know what you meant by that, but it's funny. <laughs> <laughs> Well, when you throw it out there to the geek and nerd crowd, they'll get it. <laughs> right. Well, and that's that's what I'm hoping for. So, John, it has been a absolute pleasure to have you on the show. Uh, it's been, uh, I, I think it's illuminating. It's been mind-blowing. And I hope that everyone who's listened to us today will, will truly uh, have a new glimpse into the mind of an IT director and others who are like you and really adapt the way they do things to, to get you know, into the conversation happening in your head and really understand you more so that they can be more effective at working with you in the future. So thank you again for your time, for your your interesting perspective and um, continued success in what you're doing and the role you play in the firefighting you do and all that happens in your world. Well, you're more than welcome, Tom, and thank you for having me. All right. Thanks. Bye. Wow, what a valuable conversation. I I hope you learned as much as I did about the mind of an IT director, manager, leader. And I really want to thank John Gilbert for joining us today. That that was incredibly insightful, and I hope that you listen to that. I hope that you take it in because there was such good value in what just happened there that uh, that was worth the price of admission, i got to say. Thank you for listening. Thanks for joining us. I appreciate you being here. And finally, I want to thank our official sponsors, O'Neill Software. I was, uh, I was aware that their latest handheld device, the Motorola ES400 on their website, this amazingly small handheld is big enough for RS Mobile, O'Neill's mobile software application, but small enough for your pocket. The device is Motorola's smallest enterprise digital assistant, and it's really something that can help make your life and your driver's lives and your warehouse life people better. So be sure to check that out on the website of O'Neill Software, and you can do that at O'NeillSoft.com. That's it for now. Talk to you next week. We are out of here. Thanks for joining us on the Rim Pro Report with Tom Adams. If you enjoyed the show, please tell others. Our website is www.rimproreport.com. This broadcast is produced and hosted by Flourish Press Inc. Join us again soon.